Welcome to Radio Survivor. It's the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reesmandel, and I am uh, one third of your team today. My name is Eric Klein. I'm uh, two thirds of your team. And, and I'm Jennifer Waits. I guess I'm the third third. <laughs> the third third. We, we will have only three thirds. And you're joining us via Skype uh, I from am. the great state of California in the city of San Francisco. It's true. Well, uh, today we're going to catch up on some college radio news and some low-power FM news. Uh, and our first bit of business is actually following up from a story that uh, we've been following since we began the podcast, which is ownership rules, media ownership rules at the Federal Communications Commission. Yeah, I would say that actually every story we're covering today is a bit of a story that we've been following since the beginning of the podcast. We're going to be talking about, you know, college radio stations uh, under threat, right? Uh, how long how do you keep your your little struggling college radio station alive in in a harsh and uncaring media environment and then uh the that low power fm story in san francisco is still part of a well yes yeah, so these are topics we covered longitudinally it's what we try to do here it, it uh, makes me really happy i'm rubbing my hands together <laughs> in glee that we're we're sticking with the script excited yes yeah, so, so what happened with the fcc well so we'll recall that a few weeks ago the third circuit court of appeals uh sent the fcc packing once again saying that the ownership rules that it came up with uh well over a decade ago and that it has still been adjudicating still aren't good enough that basically that they are not well founded in evidence and the FCC did nothing to fix that situation over the course of more than a more than a dozen years, right. going back to the George W. Bush administration. First graders who were uh, who were at elementary school when these rules were written now uh, can vote in this presidential election. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. And part of uh, the FCC's requirement or requirement of the FCC is that biennially, every two years that is, the FCC is required to take a look at its ownership rules and revise them. That hasn't happened in this whole interim after the set of rules that uh, then Chairman uh, Michael Powell proposed that have been stayed and stopped by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. To some people's surprise – Current chairman, Tom Wheeler, is now circulating the revision, revised rules. Sort of a lame duck FCC. It, it's, it, it might be. Yes, indeed, because we're at the end of the Obama administration, right? And so Tom Wheeler uh, could conceivably stay on the FCC more likely if they're uh, if Hillary Clinton wins the uh, wins the election in November she may choose to keep him on uh, and so you understand that the uh, the executive with the president uh, chooses the uh, FCC chairman or chairwoman uh, who is always of the same party you know so Democrat or Republican and is confirmed by the Senate like other appointees. Uh, so it's possible he could stay in office, but it's um, possible that the Senate would uh, not confirm anybody. And we just exactly. Would have a, a well, and that's what's happening actually federal government. with another, uh, with another uh, commissioner right now. Her, her appointment is being held up by wow. the Senate. Um, so it does happen all the time, but, uh, Tom Wheeler circulating this and, uh, and the, 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 also the big surprise is that he's proposing almost no substantial changes. And I think from a public interest standpoint, this is a good thing. No substantial changes to the existing rules on media ownership. Correct. Now, it's a bad thing because many of those rules have created quite a bit of devastation, uh, looking specifically at the radio ownership rules. Now, some of those would require an act of Congress to change because they were part of the 1996 Telecommunications Act, so they were not part of an FCC decision. However, the FCC has some latitude in how it, how it applies some of those mandates. But the big thing that uh, much of the media industry was hoping would be changed is the television newspaper cross-ownership rule. And this is a rule that says that most of the time, in the same market, a radio—I'm uh, sorry—television station and a newspaper may not be co-owned. 
And the purpose of this is to preserve some level of diversity in news gathering so that, uh, you know, and, and also it means that the newspaper can be a check on the TV stations and vice versa. Right. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. The FCC can provide wa- waivers. Um, there are some uh, – duopolies that have been uh, grandfathered in over time that existed before the rule ever came to exist. Uh, Tribune, uh, you know, the Chicago Tribune um, also owns a television station there, but that predates uh, this rule actually being instantiated. You know, you could say in Chicago that at least there's a a few other television stations to to compete against these, uh, the Tribune TV station. Exactly. Um, But that's not so true in a lot of other uh, cities. Uh, So that rule is not being changed. Um, One proposal that Tom Wheeler has put out is that um, they say they will specifically look at providing uh, providing a waiver to financially embattled stations or financially embattled newspapers. So so newspapers that risk all of them. No. That's actually it does not. It does not actually apply to all of them. Uh, ones that are really in in threat of going out of business soon um, is basically what he means. So that is the one change. Um, it's making nobody happy, <laughs> and of course it hasn't yet been approved. But that is something which he has proposed. By nobody, you mean large media corporations and uh, and the public interest. Public interest. Because the public interest folks groups. don't really want to see any change, mm-hmm. and it's not nearly enough change for the likes of a Tribune company, for instance. Uh, well, and what, how? And I'd be curious. How does he define financially? I forget what term you use, but how do you how do you quantify that? Right. Because well, we. Yeah, that's why I made that joke. Was how do you how do you not define every single newspaper as being in financial precarious situation in 2016? And how do you how do you write that into legislation? So that's that's what I'm a bit confused about. Yeah. So um, I think he has some in in. It is being it is in the proposal, but I not I, the proposal itself has not been released. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a summary that he released of what of what's happening. But this is Got this it. is cool because this is like uh, three weeks in a row, I think, or maybe not not quite. But it's been a, a quite impressive stream of reasonably good news in in FCC land. Yeah. So here here are the qualifications, actually. Um. So basically, the qualifications are where there's an inability to dispose of an interest to conform to the rules, which basically means that uh, if there's some other uh, merger happens and it turns out to be uh, co-ownership of a TV station and and uh, and a newspaper that... For whatever reason, there's no buyer, essentially. So essentially, if there's no one there to buy the buy the TV station or the newspaper, then it might be preserved. Or two, where the only possible sale is at an artificially depressed price, meaning way below any sort of reasonable market value. Or three, where separate ownership of the newspaper and station cannot be supported in locality. And that would be basically saying, again, there's no other owner, no, no one else who can take over the ownership of this. And mm. I think we're often talking about smaller cities, yeah. not so much in New York or Chicago. Still plenty like of wiggle Rockford, room. Like Rockford, Illinois. Oh, there's always wiggle, wiggle room. room. But you have to understand that this is, this is, uh, this is they can be considered for a waiver. It's not a guarantee for a waiver. Right. So it's not a hard and fast rule. Interesting. And, um, and where the purposes of the rule would not be served by divestiture. And that basically means uh, where any other possible buyer would also violate the rule or something along those lines where basically and, that, and that's the problem of a consolidated media environment when you have fewer and fewer owners of radios of, of television stations and fewer and fewer owners of of newspapers then it can get to a situation where uh there's almost no independent buyers or potential owners left um which you know it, it, it you have to deal with the circumstances you're dealt i'm not saying that's great. other than tech billionaires yeah, unless uh, Jeff Bezos wants to come to town and uh, and pick up your newspaper. Elon Musk might, wants to get into the newspaper business in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, he um, is now also looking at carrying out the Third Circuit's remand of diversity issues. And so uh, readopt some rules or change some rules to uh, to help support minority ownership in particular and women and women ownership of of media properties and that that's a topic that we covered with 
with Christopher Terry. With Christopher Terry. So, and, but basically, otherwise, leave uh, local market caps be. And that's something which uh, the radio industry has been pushing for, is to uh, raise the local market caps, meaning uh, allow them to own more stations in any given market. And they're going to hold that where it is. Same thing on TV stations. Huh. So it's a bit of a um, – it's a, it's, a, it's a lot more information added to what we knew before when we've covered these issues on previous episodes of the show. Right. We, we've talked about these issues and now now we know that at least for the time being, no, no more uh, – no further bad progress. More or less, yes. And specifically with regard to radio, uh, you know uh, – it, it seems to me that it would be very hard to defend further lifting ownership uh, caps in radio, uh, given the current state of commercial radio in particular, uh, although it's certainly what many in the radio industry would like to see, uh, you know. But uh, so, yeah, it seems like things aren't too terrible. We'll, we'll hear if maybe uh, if Christopher Terry has more to to tell us. But that just came July 2016. This it seems week. like things aren't too terrible. Aren't too terrible for media ownership and radio. Uh, you know, there's a good likelihood that it will pass the uh at the commission since um, it is a majority Democrat commission. Um, one Republican commissioner, Ajit Pai, has uh has leveled pretty severe criticisms. In particular, he's a severe critic of the cross ownership rule. He would like to see it done away with altogether or greatly more greatly weakened. Newspaper radio station or newspaper television. Newspaper so. television. Yeah. Yeah, there's newspaper radio is already pretty weak. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, cross ownership. So, uh that's a little bit of news on that front. Um, but now I think we will turn to some college radio news. And so, Jennifer, uh, unfortunately, we find ourselves once again talking about a college radio station that will be closing. Yes. In fact, it has already left the air as of uh, the day before the recording of this podcast. So June 30th. Yeah, June 30th. Um, well, I tuned in June 30th and the station was off the air. So its last day was June 29th. And we're talking about the Hastings College radio station in Hastings, Nebraska. It's KFKX. And yeah, their final day was June 29th. And what do we know? What yeah. prompted this closure? What happened? What happened? Well, um, it seems like a number of factors. Uh, the person who was the professor in charge of the station retired in January, and she also helped start the station. It was actually a graduate of Hastings College, too. Um, so that might have been maybe the first part of the equation. And then following that, there were some restructurings in, in how the department that was in charge of the radio station was organized. So... Hmm sounds like it was part of a journalism department and now they are restructuring to have a media arts and art department merger and as part of that they don't see a future for having a broadcast radio station so they've decided that students going forward will do audio they will have opportunities for audio production but not in the form of a radio station and in fact, not even in the form of a streaming radio station. Hmm. So it's it's been a terrestrial radio station. It's been an FM station since 1997. And before that, it was a carrier current station starting in the 1980s. Um, so a 20-year history over terrestrial radio. And then a longer history, if you take into account their carrier current years, which started in 1988. Um, so all of that will be gone, which hmm. which is really sad. And in all of the public-facing communications about it, um, I didn't see anything about what was going to happen to the license. Hmm. But I did some digging, and the, the school filed with the FCC, telling the FCC that the station would be going silent, um, they didn't turn back the license. They said that they're evaluating what right. they're going to do and that they are investigating potentially selling the license. Interesting, because a lot of times when we've talked about this in the past, it's been in uh, larger media markets where the license was extremely valuable and there was already a buyer. 
uh, lined up, right. f- lined up for the college station going off the air. But in this yeah. case, in this case, it's a smaller town, and, huh? Yeah, and it sounds more like you know if if the people, if the um, infrastructure, if the people in charge of the radio station are moving on, and and it sounds like maybe the student level of student participation was not as high as they would like. So the combination of all of these things probably made it easier for them to make the decision, but not without, um, it doesn't sound like there has been major protest, but I've read the story got quite a bit of coverage in local media. So Mm. there were multiple TV, um, news reports about the station going off the air and multiple articles and different publications. Um, so it was definitely getting coverage and, and current students and alums have written about their displeasure. Sure. Cause, cause key- in the past, uh, when other stations go down college and otherwise, uh, very quickly, oftentimes, there's a community that comes together and identifies itself as being the group of listeners who want their station back. And they they proceed in a certain way that sometimes there's a pattern that we can talk about on Radio Survivor, and we have talked about. But so in this case, you're saying uh, those people haven't stepped forward as far as you know and you've looked into it? Yeah, as far as I can tell, um, there were some interesting quotes um, a graduate from 2006, Anthony May, who actually designed a really cool T-shirt about the station. <laughs> um, he said, our first thought was, man, we should try to save it. And then after a little more deliberation, we thought, well, I don't think we'll ever be able to save it. But we didn't want was for it to just go off the air without bringing back some of the voices of the past. Mm, a little bit of so, apathy or something. Or so that's. Yeah, so that graduate um, helped coordinate an event on the Saturday before the station went off the air, and they brought in alums and had special programming um, and had sort of a celebratory farewell broadcast. That's nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think think it's tough to fight these sorts of decisions, and so on the face of that, people may— sort of give up with well, the, you the know, cows already sad. left the barn as well, it were. And, and Hastings is a small college this is so you know often I think we what we need to take into account is is there's an institutional size right there, there's a big difference uh, between a University of San Francisco even or a Vanderbilt University and a Hastings College Hastings College has 1200 students mm-hmm. um, you know so which, which is a very small enrollment compared to a lot of other other schools that have right. big, thriving radio it's stations. harder to organize. Right. Fewer people, harder to organize. And, and usually smaller enrollments you mean smaller budgets all around. Sure. There simply doesn't tend to be as much money to go around. Often, you know, radio stations are funded out of student activity fees. So with fewer students means fewer fees. All sorts of things, I think, contribute to putting more pressure on smaller institutions to maintain a station. And, it, and, and to the best of your knowledge, this was a full – 1997. So it was a full power station. This is not a yeah. low-power FM or Class D. And right. in fact, coming going on the year 1997 is kind of – it's kind of late for a new mm-hmm. uh, non-commercial station. Um, you know, the, a lot of stations didn't go on the air at, at, during that, that time period. So it's it sort of uh, – and, and most of the ones that did went on the air in more rural areas, yeah, where, which is simply more spectrum available for, for, for new stations. I'm just imagining that uh, there is a possibility, a distinct possibility, that today on Radio Survivor, on this episode, we might have a handful of uh, brand new listeners who perhaps are people who used to listen – to this radio station or work at this radio station as volunteers or as students. And so I want to sort of have, I have them in mind when I'm thinking about a, we've talked about this topic uh, numerous times on previous episodes and we've given advice mostly though to stations who um, might see this coming down the road and can prepare for it. And so in this case, uh, this, this radio station uh, might not benefit from that sort of advice, or am I a little too pessimistic on that? Like if the pe- oh, I think there's always I I think there's always hope. Yeah, I so, think so. Documenting I, why this station mattered to the community might still be a useful thing for the people that know those things but haven't necessarily uh, collaborated on writing it down on documenting it. 
Yeah, it sounds like the station lost a big ally, right? I mean, so you mentioned that the that the professor who helped to found the station retired, uh, and I don't, you know, know whether she's still affiliated or or what what her situation may be. And and you know, it sounds it sounds like an almost like a perfect storm. And you know, and I'm just looking at um at uh, the Wikipedia entry for KFKX, which cites a report from uh, NBC Nebraska. Uh, in May, uh, which reports that uh, the college cited the station's insufficient listenership mm. and a declining number of jobs in the radio industry as for reasons why uh, the station was going to be no longer supported. Do you have a response yeah. to that, Jennifer? Do I have a response to that? Um, and well, and then in another report, um, somebody from the school said it had to do with merging two departments. So it's it's a lot of different things, um, and some of the students who participated said that they felt like the audience size had been sort of misrepresented. So you well, know, it's hard to know how well, many audience listeners. size. Yeah, of a college station, I will go on a limb to say is nearly impossible to estimate accurately in most cases, uh, and that is one because. Most stations don't subscribe to Arbitron ratings, which is the only uh, service available. It costs a lot of money to count. It costs a lot of money to count. And if you aren't able to turn that into money by selling advertising, uh, there's What's not the much there's, there's no not point. much of a point yeah. to doing so. Two, uh, smaller stations tend not to be well represented in Arbitron ratings to begin with, especially in smaller markets. It's harder to count. It's harder to count because simply you get to to smaller and smaller percentages of what is already a small sample size in terms of the uh, in, in terms of the methodology used for the ratings. Uh, and that becomes exacerbated, especially when you're not in a major market. So getting so then most claims of audience size are mostly qualitative, right? They're mostly based right. upon other other ways of of measuring impact and 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 unfortunately that is something which if if folks are not busy compiling that that data that that evidence on a regular basis when called on the carpet well you know demonstrate that there's an audience we presume there isn't it's it's often difficult to fight yeah. that battle but i think i think it's important now uh to uh sing the same song that we have sung before on radio survivor in case again for new listeners but also uh it's important the that the notion that that uh, well there's less jobs anyway in radio and radio is playing a smaller role in our media landscape and our country so what's the point of college radio what good is college radio anyway for hastings well i think i think also just to back up a little when administrators make statements about you know the dwindling audience for radio um a lot of that is sort of untrue. It's I, I think there might be this assumption out there that radio listenership is dwindling and radio listenership is still really high overall. But I, I think a lot of times these statements feed into this sort of collective stereotype about the state of radio. So people take it on face value. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure the administrators were talking about radio per se. I think they were talking about the station in specifically. Right. But there have been other quotes that make it sound like, oh, well, you know, we're going to move on and do new things. Um, we're going to focus on the future. So there were some other statements that, that made it sound like radio was a dying form of media. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I'm coming through on that. And what do you say about this argument that, you know, I mean, basically embedded in this in this statement that there are insufficient jobs, declining number of jobs in the radio industry, uh, embedded in that is 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 the notion that the college radio station is uh, more or less a jobs training ground for for the broadcast industry, that that right. working <laughs> in the, at the college radio station is training yourself for a radio job. Sure. A reasonable right. thing to think about a college, that the purpose of college is to learn things that will help you get a job. So, so how many how many professional lacrosse players are generated by Hastings College's lacrosse team? Well, but what, oh, good point. I mean, you know, or, or, yeah. you know, or even, you know, how many people go from, N- how many football players right. go from NCAA sure. to, to NFL? So instead of being devil's advocate, I'll ask a direct question to Jennifer. What kind of uh, good job skills do you learn at a college radio station that don't necessarily mean that you're going to work in radio? 
Oh, tons of them. And, and actually, I mean, there was a great piece where um, a bunch of station alums wrote about their reaction to the news about the station shutting down. And they talked about the impact the station had on their lives. And a lot of them talked about learning things that didn't necessarily lead to a job in the radio industry. So leadership skills. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different things you can do at a radio station, working on a website, um, managing events. There were people that were interested in careers in journalism. And so they worked on public affairs programming at the station. So it's, it's all over the map. And, and at least from my experience at a lot of stations, a very small percentage of people ever have aspirations of going into the radio industry, but their experience working in radio has been a huge bonus as far as increasing all kinds of skills that have helped them to land jobs. So, yeah, I think it's interesting how sometimes uh, campus radio stations are held to, I think, a different standard compared to other campus activities, you know, and that that this argument is used. Uh, Would you use the same argument for shutting down a drama program, you know, an extracurricular drama program? Well, how, you know, there's a dwindling number of Broadway jobs or would you use it to shut down, you know, even Music a campus programs. newspaper, yeah. you know, all the sorts orchestra. of the orchestra, all sorts of, of enrichment activities, essentially, that are co-educational, right? That are part that, 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 that parallel your education and give you these opportunities to apply things you're learning in the classroom. Um, you know, I don't think that, that the assumption is made that all of these things are necessarily pre-professional training, yeah. that this will be a trade that you're learning at Hastings College because you were in a play for a couple semesters or because you, you know, played in a softball team for a couple of semesters, um, that, that will be your career rather that these are things which enhance your educational experience. And in many cases also enhance the experience of the people, other people at the college or the university, as well as the community, whether it's community going to see plays, going to, uh, watch, uh, sports games or listening to the radio station. These are all sorts of different types of engagements. Never mind, you know, what is the, the pre-professional opportunities for fraternities and sororities, which are, again, often uh, receive basically subsidies for all intents and purposes from, from the educational institutions. Uh, it's it, it seems to be this constantly pernicious uh, myth, really, that, that uh, radio stations on campuses are are there to train students to become broadcasters any more so than any other activity is to train them to become football players, lacrosse players, yeah, actors, et cetera, even though certainly I'm sure some do. Yeah, there's certainly some college radio stations that exist for that purpose, and there are quite a few that don't. So it's, yeah, I'm glad that you sort of tease that out. Um, I wanted to bring up something that a former station manager had mentioned in this piece um, that I was mentioning that had stories from different people who had worked at the Hastings College Station. And where, where, where was the, this piece published? Where did this come from? It was actually in um, in one of the student media publications. So for and Hastings College. With, yeah, with the caveat that, you know, the opinions here do not express the views of, you know, the staff or management. Uh, but I thought it was nice that they actually published this with um, – with everyone's opinions. So Samuel Bennett, who was the Hastings College television executive producer and the former station manager for the radio station in 2014 and 2015, um, he talked a bit about the broader community. And he said, I can't help but feel that the community appreciation of the station was greatly underestimated when the decision was made for KFKX to shut down. This is really the only station in the area that plays the music it does. In my opinion, the music selection in Hastings, as far as radio goes, just got 100% worse. I have no incentive to listen to the radio at school now, and I think a lot of students and Hastings residents feel the same way. So he's talking about the broader town of Hastings, that when they listen on their radio dial now, they're not going to have very much in the way of alternative music. Hmm. I'm starting to wonder if we might have been too hasty to say that uh, that this was a done deal. I mean, is that really or I mean. Well, it's it's not a done deal. I think um, colleges always want everyone to think it's a done deal, but they have not sold the license. They have not turned it back to the FCC. 
they are still trying to decide what to do with the license. Sure. So, so I guess we have to repeat ourselves again in case we have new listeners to this program because of this issue. Uh, multiple episodes in the past, Paul and J- Jennifer in particular, have given uh, advice to college stations about how to uh, prove your worth uh, to people who don't necessarily already have an innate love of the station, uh, how to document that and what good it does when you do that sort of work. Yeah, we, I mean, we've got a couple pieces that we've written that I'll definitely put in show notes at com slash podcast. I think uh, just about this situation in particular, I think the advice I'd, I'd always want to give to any group, if there is a group that wants to organize around it, will be, you know, that flack is probably not going to work. Yeah, build bridges, don't yeah. try to fight enemies. Yeah, that that's probably the, one of the most the, the the strongest piece of pieces of advice. It would be, you know, to learn from the college. And again, this didn't just happen all of a sudden, right? Uh already there were reports more than a month ago. So it's fast, of course. But, you know, our reports more than a month ago that this was going to happen. Um Yeah, that's when they announced it was going to happen. I think at the beginning of May they announced and then the station is no longer on the air as of June thirtieth. Right. Finals People is to are is to finals. really is is your your best approach is to find allies in that campus community, people who who have standing. Right. So and 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 that includes students. It includes faculty. It can include staff uh, who can also ally with perhaps other prominent people in the Hastings community uh, who can come and and sort of understand the constraints that exist, right? So if, if it is monetary constraints, and, and, and my best guess is that it is, uh, are there ways that that can be bridged? Are there ways in which uh, the station's operations could be either streamlined or, they, or perhaps there is funding? Perhaps there is somebody in the Hastings community uh, who's willing to be a benefactor or many benefactors willing to pledge their support to ke- keep the station going um, or there or there are faculty willing to kind of add it to their uh, you know, responsibilities, willing to sort of serve as advisors or uh, other, in other fashions at the station, perhaps without receiving a subsidy for doing so as part of just their job, you know, their regular jobs. Um, there's a lot of ways to do that, but it really requires meeting the concerns you know, hearing them and, and even if they seem as though, I don't say illegitimate, but even if they seem as though they, they may be convenient uh, to meet them still as sincere and to try and work it out. I mean, it, it's always easier and better to do that before the lights have been turned off and the transmitter has been turned off. But in this case, the license hasn't been sold. It still belongs to Hastings College, which means that um, it, it is no big deal from that standpoint for them to turn the transmitter back on, right? right. Uh, you know, so it, 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 to figure out what, what were the costs associated. It's a 780-watt station, so frankly, it's not super expensive to run, actually. Uh, that's only, you know, seven times bigger than an LPFM um, and much smaller than many others. And now it does require still engineering time and it does require a little bit more attention than an LPFM does, but it's not a very high-powered station. Uh, so that does reduce the cost of running it. And and that, that would be my best advice is to find those allies and work at it. If you just say, shame on you, they'll probably just absorb that and it'll It'll stay defunct, um, but really meeting those concerns head on with strong arguments, demonstrations of impact, you know, both on campus and off campus and testimonials work, news coverage works. I mean, even the fact that the local TV covered it, I think, demonstrates just uh, right there that how important it was to the community, because I think many station shutdowns never get picked up by <laughs> by local yeah. television at all. And I guess yeah, no, I was I was actually really impressed by the breadth of coverage that this got in Nebraska. So, I think that does say something. Right, and we'll have some links in the show notes, but you could also uh literally uh, just go back through our episodes. There haven't been uh, a gigantic amount and and look for other times where we've talked about other college stations closing back to the first time we talked about it and every single time uh you'll have another version of Paul giving the, the advice that he just gave. <laughs> it, is, it is reframing yeah. really the value to, to reframe it and sort of demonstrate it uh, and put it on par really with things like in, in many cases, like a football program or an athletics right. program or a drama program, uh, you know, and 
and seeing what what the what the true concerns are, um, you know, and why why the why really the decision was made as opposed to you know what are the the public proclamations for it. But that's I mean I think that's the card, uh, and it's not impossible for for these things to be reversed or to change. Right. Um, but Jennifer, we didn't talk about did is was this a student? Student run DJ was it was the music all being spun by by students or was there talk that, shows? I mean, from what I can tell, it seems like it was a student run station, and it was music and public affairs programming. Mm. They had student a student show that uh, was about. They had a, a, a whole public affairs show run by students that right. sounded like it was. Uh, a pretty amazing show um, in, addition, in addition to a variety of music programming. Yeah, so that so, right there is already um, a huge uh, fact in, in favor of the station, in my opinion, since sometimes we're talking about uh, college stations that, 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 that are under this sort of pressure. It turns out that there was very low student engagement, and that might be one of the reasons why the administrators were willing to uh, wash their hands of, the, of having to run the thing. But in this case, uh, it, yeah – that, that's a that's an important fact. Yeah. Well, so uh, I think let's turn to something a little brighter. Some some bright news. We shall go back and forth across that line, I suppose. <laughs> um, and this is about a station that looks like it's going to go on the air. It's a low power FM station, and it's significant because it's going on the air in San Francisco, which is one of the most crowded radio markets in the country where the opportunity to put new stations on the air is extremely rare. Moreover, extremely rare to put on new non-commercial community stations. That is also very rare. So it's sort of a, a, a a big deal that there's going to be a new community station. It looks like in San Francisco, uh, Jennifer, give us the details. Yeah. And this, I mean, this crosses a few categories because there's a college radio story to this. There's an LPFM story and there's an urban market story. So uh, if you've been following Radio Survivor all these many years, um, you might remember that University of San Francisco's radio station KUSF used to have an FM channel in San Francisco. And it was a station that had students and community members involved, well-loved, longtime station, went off the air in 2011 And some of the folks that were involved with KUSF FM, kind of after that went down, they went off and formed their own nonprofit and ended up applying for a new low-power FM license in San Francisco. So the group San Francisco Community Radio has been running a streaming radio station in San Francisco, and they were one of eight groups that applied for 102.5 FM in San Francisco, one of the channels that seemed to be available for Mm. low-power FM. So eight groups were vying for this channel. And then in 2014, the FCC narrowed it down to four tentative selectees. And now we just found out that it has been narrowed down to possibly two tentative selectees and there have been various petitions to deny and objections um as you might imagine with eight groups applying for the channel um there was a lot of a lot of um intense emotion and intense desire um because they all wanted this frequency so after all of these Petitions to deny and objections have been filed. The FCC poured through everything and did its own inquiry. And based on that, it's narrowed it down to two possible selectees. Now, now these selectees, is this for them to share the frequency? Is, is that, is that what, this, what this means? Yeah. So on June 24th, FCC, the FCC issued a memorandum and order and they rescind they rescinded the tentative selection of one applicant, which was Outsound, um, and they dismissed an application for another, SF IndieFest, and now it has two left: San Francisco Community Radio and San Francisco Public Press. And they're asking these two groups to come up with a timeshare arrangement. Yeah, within- I- 
I'm within sorry. 15 days. Yeah. So they have a very short period of time to come up with a voluntary <laughs> time. Because this stir. has been going on a very long time. <laughs> I, I, rem- yeah. I know both of these groups of people, sort of, from my days in the Bay Area, and I can see it. I can see this partnership very clearly. This this is doable, in my opinion. Yeah, and they're so talking. I SF um, Public Press had a um, has a sort of an independent publish a publication, a paper that they put out. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it quarterly? Is it once a month? I had a story in it once <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, so it's it's uh, community radio people and journalists. Um, if you look at these two groups and I talked to representatives from both and I know they want to work it out. So, so hopefully they will come up with something. Yeah. That's a great station. Public affairs and music, uh, together. Yeah. News, news and public affairs and music. So we'll see what happens. Um, there's also an indication that Outsound still may not be out of the running. They had some points deducted because of, something related to public access to the station and having a main studio. And so they lost points, but it sounds like there could be another scenario where if all of the groups come together and combine points, they may have a three-way timeshare. Um, but I haven't heard, I haven't heard that from SF Indie Fest or I haven't heard that from, excuse me, from San Francisco community radio or San Francisco public press. So I don't know I don't know if those discussions will happen, but I just wanted to point out that kind of, uh, you know, like in the last story, Outsound is not necessarily completely out of it entirely yet. Um, That remains to be seen. Yeah, I want to kind of I'll just give the background on this in case people don't quite follow because it's sort of this arcane process at the FCC and that when, when you apply for low power FM station uh you are awarded points and these points are used to judge who gets the station if there are more than one applicant for the uh for the for the particular frequency and these points are for a number of different things uh that can be either sort of about your group so let's say for instance if you are um if your group is part of a uh First Peoples Nation, a Native American tribe, mm. you get a point. Um, if you are part of a uh, local municipality and you'll provide some level of emergency service broadcasting, that can be a point. First, also, first and foremost, you have to be nonprofit. Right. It has to be nonprofit, period, across the board. Um, other points may be awarded for guaranteeing having a local, local publicly accessible studio, for guaranteeing so much local original programming in a given week. Um, those are all points, and uh, you make those instead guarantees. Instead of just repeating some national Correct. stuff. Correct, yes, yeah, because right. exactly. So the idea of being – is giving uh, a station that intends to operate – as a true local community station, an edge against one that might just simply be uh, repeating satellite programming. And, you know, so often, though, you'll find that you could have several applicants and they'll have the same number of points, right? There won't right. be a clear winner. And then in the past, there's been sharing. Well, that's so then they may share, right? And so, you know, it really depends on how many competitors you have. If you have like two competitors, it's pretty easy for them to broker an agreement. If you have like what happened in Los Angeles when there was at one point 24 competitors for one frequency, uh, you really can't have 24 people sharing a frequency, 24 groups. Uh, So what happens is that then the groups will break down into smaller constituencies to pool their points. Right. So that maybe Uh, this group of two stations versus this group of two stations, one may have more points and therefore uh, they win the timeshare and those two stations will have it. Uh, it, You know, I mean, you know, and then, of course, uh, in this particular case, uh, what had happened is there were four competitors left for this one frequency. One has been dismissed. We're down to three. Then two are pooling their points and two obviously will outnumber one in terms of number of points. But if they want to enter into a timeshare group with this deal with this remaining group, uh, then it could be a three way in which case they would share that frequency amongst three groups. That's kind of what is going on. here. The one time I'm familiar with this timeshare idea, there's a station here in Portland that I'm familiar with that they split the day in half. Do you have to split the day in half? No, I mean, you can, there are a number of different ways that you can do that. I've been, I visited a timeshare station where they alternated days, actually. So it was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Some people do it by splitting the day in half. So there are many permutations that can go into effect. 
And the important part about that 15-day window, which the stations have been given, is that if they don't come up with a plan, one will be come up, what will be imposed upon them. The FCC exactly. will come up with a plan because the FCC's interest at this point is to get these stations licensed and on the air. Um, you know, this is this is a discussion I have a lot of times with people, especially in community radio, who fear the FCC, right? Because you know, there is the enforcement side of it where uh, you can be fined for violations like, uh, you know, indecency for, for, you know, naughty words at the wrong time of day for, for things like not having your public file uh, in order and things like that. So a lot of, you know, a lot of folks look at uh, the FCC like like cops who are out to get them yeah, to take stations off the air. Yeah. But the flip side really is that the FCC's main job is to put stations on the air. And keep them there. But there are rules, right? So on the other side, there's rules that are intended to sort of maintain the integrity of the airwaves, maintain the integrity of a particular service. Uh, and, you know, of course, they are required to follow the dictates of Congress, right, of the laws that are set forth in the Telecommunications Acts. So, you know, they walk that line. But but by and large, folks at the Media Bureau, uh, which, which oversees radio broadcasting, their job is primarily to help stations be on the air. Right. And not to bend over backwards. And of course, their job is to do so equitably and fairly, meaning to treat those stations uh, in San Francisco as fairly as they treat some stations in Omaha or or treat stations uh, here in Portland. Right. Is that they all need to have sort of the equal opportunity. And that's why these rules exist is to try and and make sure they're being fair. And then again, maintain the integrity of the service that it remains not commercial, that it that it gives a leg up to to community focus and gives a, a leg up as well to underrepresented groups such as native tribes. So that's what's yeah. all in the background here. And at the FCC, if it imposes a timeshare, it's not because uh, it's the big bad FCC. It's that, well, this window, these applications went in in October of 2013. We're going on to well over two and a half years now that uh, that this situ- that this that this uh, competition for this frequency is going on. The FCC wants it settled. Yeah, it wants to get these stations on the air and move on to the next thing. And, and one can hardly blame them in that case. Yeah, exactly. Jennifer, you're um, you're you're in touch with the these communities. I, I'm kind of I'm I'm interested if anybody's um, popping champagne corks at this point, and especially at the the old KUSF folks who, who oh, lost yeah. their station I mean, so long people, ago. People were jubilant, um, but also they want to make sure that people understand that they haven't been granted the license yet. So. I think it's it's a mixture of they're really excited about this initial decision, but they know that there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of fundraising to be done. So it's, uh, you know, optim- hopeful, hopefully optimistic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, well, but yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Um, you know, the folks who were involved with KUSF in particular have been fighting to get back on FM for a long time. Initially, the fight was to try to prevent the sale of KUSF FM, which that sale was not prevented. And so they moved on to try to acquire a new low power FM frequency. So it's been, you know, for them, it's been since 2011 that they've been fighting. So I I think they are feeling really optimistic and excited about this possibility. Yeah, it's a really nice... It's a really nice outcome from this uh, stressful radio story that we've all sort of been living along with the KUSF folks. Yeah, and I think an important thing to note in this is that this is pretty much the last opportunity that we know of for new non-commercial community-style stations to go on the air in markets like San Francisco. In the in these big congested markets where nearly every little slice of spectrum that could possibly be accommodated radio station has been spoken for, uh, there is no new low power FM uh, licensing uh, window scheduled. So right now there is no new opportunity because we get we get questions all the time at Radio Survivor because we have lots of pages about low power FM. I just figured out I want a station. 
I have some friends. Exactly. Who are emailing us, what's my opportunity? And unfortunately, we have to say, well, right now, in terms of low-power FM, there isn't. Perhaps you can, you know, if there is an existing low-power FM station or someone has a construction permit for a station in your area, you might be able to join forces and work together, but there won't be any new stations. Uh, There will be an opportunity, most likely, for new full-power non-commercial stations, Hmm. but not in places like Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, um, places where there's no spectrum. It's mostly going to be in smaller, more rural communities where there is still uh, some frequencies available. But now that also happens in the same kind of windowing schema where in back in the past you could just sort of s- submit to the uh, license application of the FCC. They would evaluate it and you may or may not get a license. Now they open up a window and do it in a much more sort of methodical way. Sure, so that could happen, but that's it, a um, lot more money. It's a lot more money. It's a lot more time. And, and it's not going to be in most, most of the major, you know, top 50 metroplexes in the United States. Um, you know, only in the fringe areas, which means they wouldn't really serve the core uh, urban areas. So, well, and this is exactly why whenever, particularly a college opts to turn back a license, sell a license, let a license expire. Um, It makes me particularly sad because I know it's very unlikely that that college will ever get a license ever again. So I think people should treat these licenses, you know, like they're gold. Well, they are. Isn't that the ironic thing? The ironic thing is that for all of the, again, you you called it out earlier, the so-called death of radio, for all of the disinterest in radio, it is still the case that uh, people will kill for a radio license in so many places. There is an active and extremely expensive market in existing licenses and tons and tons and tons of competition for uh, licenses that have yet to be assigned. What few exist. And we didn't didn't take that opportunity to push back on that cliche because we've done it so many times before. But in case there are new listeners – that's that's just uh, patently false. There is evidence, and we've talked about it in past episodes, that uh, more people than ever uh, listen to radio. Yeah. Yeah, and we have more uh, licensed radio stations than ever in the United States, too. Every so. single quarter. There has not been a walk back in the time that I've been following it. There has not been... A, a decrease in the overall number of radio stations. Yeah, in radio's the on the rise. It's it just, is still on the rise, yeah. and people want these licenses. It's, wow. So, it's well, well, thanks for that good I news, know. Jennifer. We're preaching to the choir. Radio is not dead. Well, but I think sometimes I feel like even even though it feels like we're we're preaching to the choir, I talk with people in community radio, in public radio, in commercial radio, who are seduced by that argument. Well, it's not, it doesn't mean that uh, running a radio business is getting easier. Right. It's, yes. It's right. getting harder and harder to keep stations on the air. Right. Right. It, 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 or differently hard in some cases. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. And just like so many other things are more difficult in this economy uh, from, you know, buying a home uh, to uh, buying a car in some cases. Finding right? a full-time job. Exactly. So, uh, you know. Paying we, for college. Right. We don't <laughs> right, mean right. to paint this like rosy picture so much as I think we, radio should be taken into account within that context of the, of our our media world uh, at, at large, right? I mean, you know, it's not, you know, if, if radio is having a hard time, well, gee, so are web publications, you know, uh, so are, so is every single large publication on the web seeing its revenues go down because, av- because there's such a glut of online advertising. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just saw another blip of news about how Facebook is going to show you less online publications in, now, in, in favor of showing you more from your friends and yeah. family. So making it just that much harder. But making, and those publications are, are ticked because many of them were sold nine months ago, 12 months ago, a bill of goods by Facebook saying, well, publish your stuff on Facebook because people are no longer going to your website. And, and now you will get, you know, access to the, to these eyeballs. And now they're saying, well, we're going to dial that back. So radio means you still, I mean, (laughs) let's not put too fine a point on it, but when you have a radio license, okay, you have a limited monopoly on that piece of spectrum. Facebook is not going to mediate that spectrum. 
Google is not going to mediate that spectrum. It is there. It is on every single right. radio. It's not a part of your, your expensive radius. data plan that you have it to is worry exactly. about if you're, and, if you're away from the Wi-Fi. And, and there's it, it, it nothing that Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat can do that will change your ability to reach people on the airwaves. And, and, and that's the, not a small point. And the airwaves, I've talked to people who are potentially going to have new low power FM stations who have, who currently have online only stations and they're expecting that their listenership is going to increase. Oh yes. So it's, it's probably, I mean, it's interesting. People think, Oh, well you're online. You can reach listeners all over the world, but it's really hard for listeners to actually find your online stream. And so listenership to online stations often is really, really small. So it's interesting that these tiny low-power FM stations, particularly in urban markets like San Francisco, uh, their audience numbers are going to explode. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's that's really important for people to understand because online, you are one of millions. And you can have a local presence, I think, you know, and that may help sort of improve your discoverability local, but only if you put a lot of resources into making sure people locally know about your station, right? Simply going on the internet and saying, uh, hi, we're, we're, uh, Hastings, you know, internet radio doesn't mean that anyone in Hastings will find you. You'll have to work pretty hard to reach out to the community of Hastings. However, you're on the radio. You go from being one of millions to being one of a dozen Maybe one of a, one of two dozen, maybe one of three dozen yeah. in an extremely large market. You Not to greatly mention, though, increase the chance that someone's just going to find you by accident. As that, uh, as the um, the young man who who loved that station in Hastings mentioned, like that was the only station he wanted to listen to anyway in yeah. that town. That was the only one that was playing music he liked. So one grand advantages. Well, um, we got a few minutes left here, I think, before uh, both of you have to uh, leave. You know, because we all have real lives outside of the podcast. No, don't say. <laughs> but you know, I was just in Hawaii. Yeah, tell us. And I, I wanted, and, and I enjoyed listening to the radio. Uh, we had a rental car. I was in, I was on the island of Kauai, so it is the oldest island in the chain of of islands that is Hawaii, and it's the uh, it's the next westernmost of the islands. So it, but it is the basically the largest of the of those two most westernmost islands, uh, and it's fairly rural, right? So uh, most of the population lives on Oahu, which is the uh, island that has uh, Honolulu, city and island. It's pretty much a city island in that way, yeah. Because so there's like a nearly a million people on Oahu. Gosh, different stations for each island, huh? Yeah, of course, of course, especially with regard to FM. And uh, so Kauai has its own radio stations. And so I had this great experience as we, we get out of the uh, airport in Lihua, which is the, the biggest city there in um, on the island of Kauai. It's probably about 40,000 people. And we pick up the rental car and I turn on a hit seek and immediately <laughs> I hear Hawaiian music, traditional Hawaiian music on the radio. And I go, well, that's lovely that we showed up here and I turn on the uh, radio and we hear traditional Hawaiian music and it's just going and I hear them come on and, and do and, and, and uh, you know they read back the songs and they give the station ID and I find out it's the station KKCR community which is Kauai Community Radio oh like, well this is great did you do a band scan did you record this all for me I did not <laughs> they, they do broadcast online uh, you know because we're sort of you know and, and, and it's not a very big island even so uh, you know, and uh, as we're driving along, listen to it, and I decide, well, let's see what else is on the air. And I and I hit hit seek. I hear a little country music. Hit seek. I hear reggae. It is a full time, twenty four seven commercial reggae station. Huh. I'd never heard of such a thing in the United States, <laughs> and I'm not telling you that they don't exist. I never heard of such a thing in the United States. I hit seek again. There's a second twenty four seven commercial all reggae station so looking through when i finally you know look things up i find out that there there's a classic rock there is a sort of contemporary hit radio um there is a country two reggae <laughs> and community radio and i think to myself 
Wow. And, and, and so uh, reggae music is very popular in, in Hawaii, it turns out. Uh, and I think so that I said, well, this is, it's very reasonable. And yet how wonderful it is that that fact is represented on the radio dial in that way in commercial radio that they don't simply just have, uh, you know, a Xerox copy of, you know, the Los Angeles radio dial, which looks a lot like the Portland radio dial, which looks a lot like, right. you know, the Houston radio dial. The proportions are off. You know, there'll be a few more country stations in Houston and there'll be a little bit more hip hop maybe, you know, in L.A. Maybe. I don't even know. But, you know, where, where most radio dials really start to sound the same and the radio dial there uh, across the island of Kauai sounded like the island of Kauai. Mm. And how I was able to experience it. And it was this wonderful soundtrack. And, you know, we didn't, it's not a very big island, but we spent a little bit of time in the car. You know, they really don't have public transport. There's really not a better way to get around, but going from, you know, parks to beach, et cetera. And every time I got an opportunity to, uh, to listen to what sounded to me like the sound uh, of the island. And, and it was really fantastic. And just, re- and um, I stopped into this store called the Kauai store. <laughs> it was, you know, so it was sort of aimed at tourists, but selling lots of things specifically made in Kauai, right? So, so either Hawaiian made or Kauai made goods and, uh, talked to the guys who were there, who are the proprietors of the store and a guy uh, working at the counter, uh, a local artist. So he's selling his wares. He gets to sell his wares in the store in exchange for, uh, working at the front counter. And we talked a little bunch and he was selling uh, instruments that he makes himself and selling artwork that he makes. And, uh, you know, and I mentioned, oh, yeah, I listened to I was just tuned into KKCR to go. Oh, yes. The both of them were like, yes. And, and the other guy working there was like, yes, because um, if you if, if you ever talk to anyone there, tell them, you know, that I sent you because uh, I, I painted the mural on the side of the building. <laughs> and 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 they were just effusive over the top in their love for their community radio station upon me uh, just mentioning it. Uh, Cause I said, I'd been listening to a little bit of music and I'd heard it on, on KKCR. So um, as it turns out, you know, it's again, like one of the only stations on the Island. So it's really providing tremendous public service. And it is really one of the public service stations. You know, it stands out that way on the Island of Kauai, much like uh, the station that you talked about and you, you toured us through in uh, fossil Oregon last week. Yeah, KFFS, KFSL, Fossil Hometown Radio. To, yeah. yeah, check out episode fifty-two. And, and just one other thing I want so to know. So, Paul, you didn't. Sorry, you didn't visit, Paul. <laughs> no, I, I did not. I did not visit you. You called me out. It was uh, kind of squeezing it in. Was uh, was a little tough. I was traveling with some other folks, but mostly I'll take responsibility because I was tired. <laughs> I'm, so I, I didn't quite squeeze it into my trip and I apologize. I have, I have, it is much more difficult for me, uh, to do these things when I'm on vacation, Jennifer. <laughs> I do <laughs> not okay. have your I'm sorts of stamina. To, I'm not ty- trying to shame you for not visiting a radio station. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but I, so I brought with myself, brought, brought with me a, uh, a little travel radio that I often take with me. And at night I, I started tuning the AM dial. Uh, and there isn't very much AM radio plot thickens. in Hawaii. And the interesting thing was, one, it was a very quiet dial. Now, Kauai is not an urban island. And, of course, it's, it's very, very far west. It, 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 it says it has the uh, westernmost uh, bookstore, the westernmost brew pub, right, uh, because it has a few kind of urban amenities there on, the, on the island. the last place you can see the sunset in the United States? Uh, no, it'll be the next island west. Okay. <laughs> but it's a, very t- it's a much, much smaller island. Um, and I noticed how quiet it was because there wasn't – there isn't a lot of other electrical interference. There aren't a lot of other stations. And I was surprised when I was tuning around that stations that were coming in came from places like Sacramento. Oh, wow. And Reno in Los Angeles. Stations that don't come in in Portland <laughs> because there is so much interference caused by all sorts of RF emitting devices and other stations. They don't come in here, huh. but they came in loud and clear – Wow. In Kauai on a little pocket, cheap, portable radio I got on Amazon. So not, you know, one of, not like a GE Super Radio, one of these radios that's renowned for for sucking in AM stations. It's like traveling back in time. It is like, to, yeah, it's like traveling back in time the past. to like what well, I remember amazing. in the 80s and 90s listening late at night uh, to the AM dial and hearing stations from thousands of miles away. So uh, it shows you that 
that AM radio is still viable as well. Unfortunately, you know, our modern, our modern urban existence uh, makes it very difficult. Wow. Cause yeah, we've talked about that in the past on this day on the, on the podcast that uh, the AM has not been protected in the last uh, generation that, that technology that was supposed to be um, suppressed to keep AM clear was not. Well, I'm not sure it was supposed to be su- suppre- suppressed. Not suppressed. What's the word? I think managed. Controlled. I think what it is, I think it's, it's really unintended consequences, right? It, it is difficult to know what the proliferation of these technologies and we're talking about Wi-Fi routers and LED light bulbs, right? Well, we're talking about any number of things, yes, but those would be amongst the things. And it could also medical equipment, all sorts of industrial equipment that produces some level of RF interference. A lot of that interference is principally um, higher frequency, mm-hmm. right? I mean, AM band is very low frequency. You know, uh, the bottom left end dial of the uh, AM band is 530 kilohertz, whereas like FM is only 2 megahertz. But – you know, it was hard to predict what would happen when there are millions of, of Wi-Fi routers and millions of cell phones, what the aggregate sort of yeah. interference would be. It's I don't think anyone experiment. could have necessarily predicted it, but but here we are. Yeah, because it wasn't until we talked about it on the program that I started to notice ever before that, uh, oh, yeah, every time I drive past a traffic light – that AM station goes right out and I can't hear a thing. Yep. Yeah. And it used I, to be, it just lost it through tunnels, right? And yeah. now, now it's now sitting it's under a, a light. Exactly. Under a clear blue sky. So, uh, so to anyone who uh, visits uh, Kauai, uh, if you rent a car, uh, you know, scan the dial, bring a radio with you. Well, it, it will be fun. I'm going to take an island vacation in my mind next chance I get. I'm going to listen to that. Uh, that community station. KKCR, yeah. We'll have them in the show notes. I believe they broadcast online. So you can you can take that island vacation anytime you like. That's what radio's <laughs> for. That's what the internet and the radio is for. Indeed. Well, That's I think cool. uh, I'm we, glad we squeezed that in, Paul. Thanks, thanks for forcing that on us. Everything this week, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I forced it on you. Um, cool. Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to our show this week. Yeah. If you have any feedback uh, on any of the segments, any any or all of the segments, we want to hear from you. You can reach out to us at the email, which is which is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love to turn this into a radio show every week as a consistent thing. Maybe it could air on Kauai uh, Community Radio on Aww. KKCR. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I can, hear the, I can hear the luau music now. We could use your help to support this activity as well as all of the activities that go into both the podcast and the website at radiosurvivor.com. If you could uh, throw us a few shekels, we'd appreciate it. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Yeah, I want to. I think. I think. Uh, I want to pay Jennifer and Paul to uh, create like an emergency handbook, like how to save your college radio station before it's too late. Uh, I don't know how much you need. What your fee would be? We need to create a special operations team. You know, we can boots on the ground. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's right. But that's a good know, idea. Doc Martens. I thought you were going to pay us to go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's uh, that's where we take our all, company retreat. All radio <laughs> tours are still self-financed, I yeah. want to point out. It's true. As uh, well as the podcast. As well as the podcast. So, well, thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you, Jennifer, for getting us up to date. And, and we should also mention that every Friday you publish the College Radio Watch feature at RadioSurvivor.com where people can learn about these and many other stories. It is the single most definitive news update about college radio anywhere on the internet and anywhere in the world so uh, people really must read it every week it's true (laughs) she will not (laughs) deny it no false humility here (laughs) have a good week jennifer nice talking to you all right thanks bye-bye bye